0: Hey folks, Adam McDaniel here, welcoming you back to Apex Mind. Our mission here is to cut through all of the proprietary systems and gatekeeping that the learning and development industry is known for. I've personally worked in this industry for more than 14 years, and I've noticed that far too many learning professionals are just speaking in a silo to themselves. Today, everybody has to be good at training and learning in order to succeed, and it's my goal to help you to get there. In other words, I want you to get better at making other people better. This episode is all about influence, the best ways to have more influence, how to change minds, how to have more of an effect on others without the use of force or coercion. This is an invaluable skill for anybody that is trying to develop other people, for making a difference with people who don't report to you, maybe folks in a higher position in the company you work in, or just anytime you have to change minds. So let's jump in. Um, We're going to start off looking at a recent article. We've actually featured an article from this person before. His name's Arthur Brooks, and this article comes to us from The Atlantic, and it's called Better Ways Ways to Change Minds. It is in the show notes if you'd like to go read it, but we'll cover the highlights here um, because this talks about really how to influence folks in in situations where maybe it's harder to change their minds. Maybe there's a disagreement over something that's political in nature or something that's uh, in regards to, uh, you know, something social or in the world. So when we look at this, research tends to show that changing minds, especially changing beliefs that are tied strongly to someone's identity, it's extremely difficult. When you look on social media you know, especially for any kind of politically charged topic, disagreements can feel like a war where the fighters are digging in trenches on either side of an issue and they launch their beliefs back and forth like grenades. I'm sure we've probably all seen that somewhere on social media before where, um, you know, people who have different political beliefs about something, it doesn't even seem like they're listening to each other. They're, they're just lobbing, uh, you know, those those grenades or those beliefs at each other. And then nobody walks away with that. Uh, Uh, any kind of added um, information, their their minds aren't changed. And and that is unfortunate that that happens so much these days. Um, There's something called moral foundation theory. Not sure if you've heard this before, um, but moral foundation theory talks about how even though people's values tend to differ, whether it be on politics or on anything else, There does tend to be some consistencies across people with different political beliefs or even people from different cultures all around the world. And some things that tend to be consistent across just about any culture or just about any person is first harming others without cause is bad. Now, some people may disagree about what the without cause is, you know, what what would be a good cause to harm somebody but everybody agrees on that foundational concept that you shouldn't hurt people if they're innocent. And then the other common thing that most people believe, if you're a moral person and not a terrible human being is that fairness is good. We all like fairness and we all don't like it when it's not fair. But then outside of those two things, there tends to be some differences across cultures or differences uh, across different political beliefs. And we look at the two sides of the coin, so to speak, in the United States of conservatives or liberals. And one example that I think anyone can look at and and notice a difference in, um, but conservatives might oppose the harm that something like abortion would cause to an unborn child. Well, liberals oppose the harm that banning abortion could cause to certain women who do not want to carry a pregnancy to term. And this Argument has gone on for decades, and it doesn't seem as if we're in anywhere different of a place today in twenty twenty two than we were back when Roe v Wade was first passed decades ago, and so I'm not going to give any judgment on on where why stand on that, but you know it's interesting to look at that and that both sides feel like they have a valid reason for believing what they believe and they think that they're morally just in, in their belief. And yet nobody ever tends to uh, be able to sway the other side to their side when they're discussing the topic. But, you know, one one key when we're talking to folks about something where we might disagree with them is to go into that conversation and happily share, share your side. Be happy that you get a chance to go, go talk to people about something that you care dearly about. You know, And, and an analogy that's given in the article that, that I think makes a lot of sense is, you think about like missionaries that go door to door and, and preach their religion to people. And in reality, most people are not happy to see missionaries at their door. They may not answer the door, or they may say something mean to them to get them to go away. Um, But despite this fact that not a lot of people want to talk to the missionaries, those folks tend to be, you know, they always maintain like a cheery disposition. And the core reason for that is that they believe in what they're sharing, because it's meaningful to them. It's the core of their religion. It's the most important thing in their lives. Otherwise, they wouldn't be doing that. And so despite however many folks may not want to hear that message, they're always happy to share it. Because it's this message that they think they are divinely uh, given a purpose to go share. And maybe you not, may not think that your beliefs are something you're divinely meant to share. But all your beliefs do mean something to you and And this doesn't just count towards politics; this could count towards something at work, or maybe you and your family are discussing what should be for dinner or where should we go on vacation this year? You have a belief and you're passionate about it, and you have a reason to and so go into these conversations, not dreading the argument or being afraid of um you know what may happen or people judging your your views. You should go into these being happy that you get to present this thing that you're excited about. And we'll get to later in this this discussion about really what you can do to maintain that cheery disposition as you go into that conversation where someone may not agree with you. But the article presents three very actionable things you can do to be happy about what you're sharing and and maintain that positive outlook as potentially someone may disagree with you. And the first thing to do. And I think this is the most important one out of these three is to not other others and and the other is in quotation marks. So we oftentimes see people who who disagree with us as others. And going back to that politics example, Republicans see Democrats as this this caricature of, of what they are and. Democrats see Republicans as this caricature of what they are, and you even take it away from politics. Um, you know, people who have uh, opposing sports teams that they like. A lot of times, you might think of a fan base of that other team that's maybe your team's rival, and you're gonna other them. I mean, we we see this all over sports. The Yankees and Red Sox fans don't like each other. Bears and um, Green Bay fans don't like each other. I'm an LA chargers fan and I used to really be biased against LA Raiders fans. And I had this, this caricature in my house that they're just these, these thugs and, you know, and potentially like they're going to cause violence if they don't get what they want. And maybe I had, you know, a story that I read once or a person that I met once that may have given me that caricature. And I changed that completely when I met some people that I worked with that were Raiders fans that were, the coolest people i had a good friend greg that i used to be in a band with and i i really liked greg and he was a raiders fan and man maybe i should reevaluate the way i see the fan base of this team um taking that to work how often have you seen um or maybe you've done this where people on your team or in your department think of this other department. Oh, man, that sales team, they're always just, you know, snaking customers and telling them whatever they want. Or, geez, why isn't this engineering team, you know, following through on the things they need to do? And it's so easy to other them because they're different. And, and some of this comes from, you know, our tribalistic nature. 10,000 years ago, we lived in very small groups and potentially those other very small groups that came up to us could be dangerous to us. And so th- there is a little natural um reasoning and natural origin to seeing other groups as potentially dangerous or bad. But man, there's so many bad a- executions of this. I mean, we even talk about things like racism or looking at uh, other countries in bad ways, but you know, you don't want to do it at work either. And you don't want to um other anybody else one thing that i found interesting and when we think about people that are othered maybe let's take it away from groups and go down to an individual but if the the data shows that many people who lash out at their communities they have suffered social rejection and so think back to um any stories you've heard where someone has lashed out in public and done something potentially violent or dangerous, that person typically, and this doesn't excuse that behavior at all, but oftentimes before they've lashed out, they were othered. They were um, socially rejected, and I, I see this a lot with like school shooters. Oftentimes, those people that do that were bullied or or they're kind of outsiders at their school. Once again, does not justify it. I'm not trying to say that, but I'm just trying to think of the type of behavior that we can all um, execute with each other, and we the ways we can treat each other, where we we won't be causing people to feel rejected by society. Think about a lot of political extremists, people that engage in terrorist activities or um, you know commit. Violent crimes, a lot of times those people are folks that have been socially rejected. They're not typically people who um, are part of a, a welcoming and loving community. You know, at work, taking that, that social rejection thing to work, you may see that, that one person or maybe there's like a certain team at, at your job and they don't feel like they're being a part of things. They weren't really welcomed or folded in. Maybe it's like that that tenured team that there was a change to a business process or something, and, and they feel like maybe they're getting cut out. They might be afraid for the future of their job. Um, and and those folks, if if that happens, oftentimes they're gonna withdraw even more or they might be difficult to work with. We've we've probably all seen that that group at, at our business that we consider difficult to work with. And oftentimes we're not really thinking of. What behaviors may have led to that, especially if there's like a performance change and they, they used to be really productive and they're not anymore. One thing you can do to try to address this and either prevent yourself from othering others or maybe even mend some relationships if you think that's already happened is bring these folks into your circle and hear their views as long as and there's a caveat here as long as it's not going to invite and reward abuse. So that, I think that's what people are scared of a lot, is that they see this person or this team as toxic and they don't want anything to do with it. The suggestion is to try to make an attempt. See if you can bring them in, welcome their views, ask their opinions. If you, if you do that and it doesn't turn out well, hey, you know what, you made your best effort. But the ask is to make an effort and don't just give up on them before you try. Suggestion so 2 on uh, ways to be happy to share your side and um try to change some minds is don't take rejection personally. So going back to the original context of this conversation is more of a political heated conversation where you might like have a disagreement of how a policy should work or how our society should be structured. A lot of us tend to establish our identities at least in part around our values. And if someone else dismisses your beliefs, it can feel like they're dismissing you. And, and just think back. Has, has that ever happened to you where you, you know, hold a political belief of any type, and someone who holds a different political belief, you know, dismisses that or says that's stupid or that won't work or whatever? And, and you take it personally. And, and how does that make you feel? Does that does that really make the conversation more um, effective? My guess would be no. This can also be true. Let's say we take it away from that political conversation back to work again. Um, If you have an idea on how to manage manage a project, maybe next steps on uh, what we should do to act on something. And it got rejected. Maybe there was a a decision maker, a leader that just said no. Um, For those of us that work in more of a traditional learning um, capacity, we know that we might suggest something that we, from our experience, feel like is the best solution to actually lead to the performance changes that the leaders are working towards. But instead, they're like, no, let's just build an e-learning Let's just write a training, a refresher training. And, and that's just nails on a chalkboard to a lot of us because we know that's not the right idea, but we also have to realize that they're not being personal against us. They're just going with what they're used to. And maybe this quote unquote radical view of, hey, maybe we just update some resources and you know do some mentoring sessions rather than doing a refresher training for the 11th time on this topic. Um, You know, that's that's maybe outside of their norm, and that's why they're rejecting it. It could be tough, but just don't take it personally. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the idea. And then the last suggestion here is to listen more. So according to research undertaken by scientists at Yale and UC Berkeley, when it comes to changing someone's mind, listening is going to get you much, much farther than talking. Um, at both those schools, they conducted experiments. It compared polarizing arguments with a non-judgmental exchange of views accompanied by deep listening. And the former had no effect on viewpoints, whereas the latter lowered exclusionary opinions. So empathetic listening, of course, is an act of generosity. So it's it's like a gift you're giving them. Just going back to that analogy earlier on. With our good friends, the missionaries, they think that their message is a gift. And so when you're listening, that's a gift. You're giving someone a chance to tell you their side of things. And for some people, depending on the context and the situation, some people don't get a chance to do that very often. Caveat here, if someone's verbally abusing you and you're you're listening and they're just dishing out hate or negativity, the best course of action, just don't engage at all. Um, But but always make that attempt. Just when possible, listen to them, ask sensitive questions, it's going to be better than you just talking or trying to explain it to them. Um, But just once again, if it doesn't work, and that person just wants to be negative, just walk away. Or on social media, you can usually like mute or block people. Um, Just take that message out of the ether, and then it won't affect you anymore. So that's a great article. Those three suggestions will help if you a don't other others don't think of them as a group or make assumptions about them. Um b don't take rejection personally if they don't like what you're offering and then c listen more. Give them a chance to listen, ask follow-up questions, make them feel heard. They're going to be a lot more likely to hear the things you have to say. So moving on, um The other thing we wanted to talk about in regards to influence is actually one of my favorite books. And this book is called Influence, The Psychology of Persuasion. And the author is Robert Cialdiani. I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. It's a fairly old book. You can get it really cheap on Amazon. I think when I checked recently, it was like $5 or so. Um, But this is the best book ever written on the subject of influence. Um, The book is great you know, if you want the more deep dive, it's 200 plus pages and it goes through these six tools of influence. It also provides a ton of examples. So I'm going to give you a little bit of context for each of these uh, principles of influence, but the book goes much, much more in detail. I highly recommend it. It's actually the nonfiction book I have reread the most in my life and I'm probably about due for another reread since it's been a couple years. But let's, let's jump right into those principles. And the first one is reciprocity. So reciprocity means uh, people tend to want to repay in kind what others give them. So think about um, from like a sales perspective, um, you might go to a store and they have a free sample of a product um, or a lot of more digital products or things that can be shipped or, or services, so to speak, can give like free trials, 30 day free trial. And uh, a lot of folks will notice that uh, once you accept something for free, there is an innate part of us that wants to give something back. You know, a lot of salespeople will do this too, where they try to give you a gift, um, even if that's just like a compliment, because they know that if you get a gift, you're more likely to want to give something back. You know, when someone does something nice for you, it's human nature that you're more likely to wanna do something nice for them. So our our takeaway on this first principle of reciprocity is do good things for people. And I'm gonna give an extra piece there. Do good things for people and do not expect anything in return because not everyone's going to necessarily be reciprocal back to you and don't get mad if they don't. But just if you put good out in the world and if you start doing good things for people, the good will come back in kind eventually. It just may not come back 100% of the time with 100% of the people. And so I find um, when I'm trying to um, help somebody or I'm trying to get something done, in in business, I will do all that I can to take all those influential people and all those uh, key stakeholders and try to do things to help them out to make their teams work better. And I'm doing it without a, a catch. I'm not asking them to do this and then you know you got to help me out with this training. No, I'm I'm just doing those things, and I've found that eventually that does pay back in kind a of vast majority of the time. Second principle of influence is called commitment and consistency. So people have a near obsessive desire to be and appear consistent with what we've already done. I mean, think back to that politics we talked a little bit about in when referencing that article. Uh, whether it's a politician or just people with their own personal political beliefs, a lot of people are consistent with what they had done previously. Most people, when they move to a new house, they generally love the house, even if maybe internally they might be a little frustrated. I, I'm not going to name people here, but I know some some folks that years ago moved from one state to another, and they had this picture of it. And, and I've heard the complaints, and I know that um, they're frustrated. But whenever you ask them, they're always happy to live there. Um, and it can happen with a lot of things. Maybe you get a haircut and you're questioning it, but you always love it. Um, So people tend to want to be consistent and be committed to decisions that they already made. Generally, once we've made a choice or we've taken a stand, we're going to encounter some kind of personal pressure or an intrapersonal pressure just to behave consistently with that commitment. And that's going to cause us to respond in ways that justify our earlier decision. Um, you could see this with like gamblers at a casino, you know, some folks will, will start gambling and maybe, maybe they've, uh, gone up a little bit and they start losing, but you know what? They went up a little bit, so they got to be consistent. They got to keep doing it. Generally, if I can get you to make a commitment, if I can get you to take a stand, if I can get you to go on record, I'm going to set the stage for your very likely consistency with that earlier commitment. You can get people to agree to smaller things at first, which will make them more likely to agree to larger ones. This is like the foot in the door technique. You might notice some, some salespeople that will get you to string together yeses. Um, and, and before they've even pitched a product to you, um, they know the benefits of that product. And they'll start asking you questions they know you'll say yes to because you're more likely to say yes again later. Um, and one, one call out, because I, I didn't call it out earlier. All of these influence techniques can be used for evil, or maybe not evil, but for nefarious purposes. Um, and But they can also use, be used for good purposes. So you might have the politician that lies to their voters to get people to vote for them. That's nefarious. Or the salesperson that maybe manipulates people into a product they don't need, but just by using some techniques. But on the flip side, if I manipulate or influence someone to get healthier, well, then that's going to make them benefit from that. Or if I influence somebody, a business, um, a business leader to decide on a learning solution that actually produces good results, well, then I have benefited them. Maybe they wouldn't have agreed to it had I not influenced them, but they did because I did influence them. So These could be used for evil, and I just want anyone listening to this podcast to give me a verbal agreement that you will never use these for nefarious purposes. And I heard you say yes through the podcast, so we can move on. Our takeaway regarding commitment and consistency. Get people to say yes. Get people to commit to things, even if there are smaller things leading up to it. So um, some things that could work or that have worked for me in the past – You know, are you looking to improve the performance on your team? Most leaders would say yes. Would you be interested in seeing a certain metric or KPI improve? Most leaders would say yes. So then after they do that, I can string my solution to how that performance would improve. Let's go to our third um, influence technique, which is social proof. People tend to want to do what others around them are doing. This is why election polling shows a large amount of support for third parties, maybe six months out for elections, and then always right around election day that, that voting for third parties is much smaller because most of those people that originally said they would do it are going to do what other people do, and they're going to vote for one of the, one of the big two. Um, you also tend to see voting being consistent in certain neighborhoods, right? So in certain areas, most of the people are going to vote one way. At work, people learn more, and we've talked about this before, but people tend to learn more from what other workers near them do versus what official training or resources do. So you could put someone through some training, you can write out a, a, an SOP or, or actual documentation of how to do a process. And yeah, those things are great. I, I'm a big fan of performance support, and I will always support that. But if there is a coworker that is near them that they trust that says to do it otherwise, Most people are going to do it otherwise. Some other examples of social proof that I think you've probably seen just in life. One would be like laugh tracks, you know, back back in the day when sitcoms first came around, they would put laugh tracks on there to tell you when to laugh. And if you've ever um, seen those videos on YouTube of different sitcoms, like maybe friends or something with no laugh track, it's really not nearly as funny. Um, as, as it was with the laugh track also testimonials and marketing, this is why a lot of companies use testimonials because they want someone like you to tell you how good that product was because you're more likely to believe that person than you are to believe the company. Um, Door-to-door salespeople for house projects will reference other neighbors that did that same house project. That's why a lot of them will go neighborhood by neighborhood. If they can start updating the fences uh, at some people on the street, then you're more likely to do it. Not just because your neighbor did it, but you're going to see that project. And you might even hear your neighbor talk about how much they like their new fence, whether they like it or not. People are going to have that consistency we talked about, and they're going to talk about that they like it. And then you're more likely to do it as well. So Takeaway for this one, I mean, you can use that uh, testimonial. If you have folks that have been through your your program or something similar, this leader benefited from this, this team was able to improve their performance X amount because they did X, Y, and Z thing. Um, Those kind of things will mean a lot more than you just trying to pitch some sort of solution to people. Next up in the techniques for influence is liking. So we most prefer to say yes to the requests of someone we know and like, which can be used by total strangers to get people to comply with their requests. So that's the nefarious side. But, you know, if you have a a friend or someone that you like that recommends a TV show, a product, whatever, you're more likely to believe them than a generic commercial or somebody that you don't know. Or let's say um, not necessarily a friend, but just someone you know that you're not a huge fan of. You're less likely to believe them. You trust people that you like more than those that you don't. That's just a fact. This is why some people tend to trust like celebrities or late night hosts because they like those people. They like that person they see in the movie. They like that person that comes on and makes jokes every night. So whatever that person says or, or recommends, they're gonna believe it just because they like that person. You're likely more likely to buy something recommended from a friend or family member if it's somebody you like. So some ways to be likable. So first of all be nice, compliment people. Most people love compliments. Um, be cooperative. You know, we're working on this goal together. Some things that maybe are outside of our control, but generally attractive people tend to be more likable. And this is just a biological fact. We all can't control our looks completely, but we can clean up our appearance, how we're dressed, how we're, um, you know, doing our hair or or whatnot. And we can optimize how we look and Generally, someone who's dressed nicer is going to have more trust from others than someone who isn't dressed as nice. And that's down to that liking factor of influence. All right, we have two more left. So next up is authority. So. If you have authority, you're more likely to have influence. And and this is something we're trained at from a very young age, that obedience to proper authority is right and disobedience from authority is wrong. A lot of parents will teach children that at a young age. Um, That happens in traditional schooling where the teacher or the administrator's principal, so on, they have authority. And if you don't listen to them, you will be in trouble. Um, but information from a recognized authority can provide us a valuable shortcut for deciding how to act in a situation. If we realize that obedience to authority is mostly rewarding, it's easy to allow ourselves the convenience of automatic obedience. We definitely don't want to I'm not a big fan of just automatically having obedience to um authority and um without going down this road too much, we have seen in recent years some Uh, You know, institutions of authority that have somewhat diminished their their authority over others and think about that, whatever you want. Um, I'm sure we'll have different opinions amongst the audience on it, but some of that authority was destroyed by those institutions themselves. We see a lot less people watching um, cable news than we did years ago. Um, we see less trust in, in major politicians than we did years ago. And so that's all I'm going to say about that. Um, so it also shows how important it is to maintain that authority and not diminish your credibility at all. But how to um, gain authority, be confident, dress well. And if there's a certain uniform, you know, like people that work in certain jobs that might have uniforms. But if there's a a uniform, maybe like a not necessarily a stated dress code, but if there's a way that the people who have authority at your work dress, it might be a good idea to dress like those people so that. You can have that authority as well. And then also like provide concrete solutions. Provide very confident and specific solutions. Don't be wishy-washy. Don't um, say maybes or or provide multiple paths. Just be specific and concrete in your solutions. The last way to have influence is through scarcity. This was the one that initially when I heard it Seemed a little surprising, but as, as you hear the examples of this, it, it'll make more sense. So scarcity states that any opportunity tends to seem more valuable when the availability is limited and also people. That have like maybe an idea of a potential loss that can provide a large role in human decision making. You know, people are are more motivated by the thought of losing something than the thought of gaining something of equal value. You've probably seen a lot of companies offer limited time offers for things or there might be a discount um, on, on a product that only lasts for a certain period of time. And, uh, you know, what is it at McDonald's? The McRib is only available at a certain time of year. I always wondered if that that sandwich was available year round, if it wouldn't be as popular. But it's it's the fact that it's limited in nature. Um, you might find some really popular restaurants that only offer something until it's sold out. You know, like the prime rib on Friday nights only available until it sells out. I went I went to a very amazing barbecue restaurant in San Clemente, California, last year called Heritage Barbecue. And you you got to get there early. And there's a long line. People wait in line for up to an hour to get the food because they know that brisket's going to be gone by 12 p.m. or 1 p.m. Typically, things that are difficult to possess are better than those that are easy to possess. You can even see this in like various types of gaming. Um, there might be a, a rare item. And, and I don't really play a lot of these online games these days, but a lot of them like a, a Fortnite or something like that. A lot of times there might be some kind of special um, clothing or some kind of wearable that goes on your character that's very limited. And that's used as bragging rights inside the game. Generally, our response to banning information is a greater desire to receive that information and a more favorable attitude toward it before the ban. This is just a natural human tendency. People want to get to that secret knowledge, that thing they can't get. And man, we've seen this a lot lately, right? There might be certain areas that are banning a book. And then what happens? People want to go get that book. I remember when those Dr. Seuss books were were banned at one point, and they were selling on eBay for for really crazy. And in fact, eBay is a great scarcity example because there's this one item, and you're bidding on it. And only certain people can get it. Um, you know, collectible items like you know comic books and baseball cards have gone up in in value a ton in recent years because of that limited nature, and collectors want them. Um, thing, things like uh, NFTs, which I don't know if I'm completely sold on NFTs. I don't, I don't know if I want to b- uh, spend money on my my copy of a digital item, but there's a lot of people that are interested in them, and it's because there's a limited nature, and then you can go brag about it. You can go change your Twitter profile to the NFT that you own to show off to everyone else that you had it. Now, maybe that someone else can like copy that image and put it as theirs, but you have that token that shows that you own it. And for anyone out there that's an NFT fan and I explained that terribly, I apologize. But that's my level of knowledge about NFTs. Let's talk about how we can utilize scarcity. It's a little tricky in the business environment um, because you want to be available to people, but maybe you have like open office hours to provide support for certain teams and you only provide it at limited times. You don't want to make it available too much because then people won't value it. But if you schedule it only at these certain times, they might be more likely to want to do it. Well, folks, that's it. So we went, went over the three ways to change minds. And then the six principles of influence, these things all go together. And and these are things that, man, you can use these skills outside of work. If you're trying to influence someone, maybe you're trying to change someone's political views. Maybe you're just trying to get your partner to agree to go to dinner at the place you want to go Uh, at work. You may be trying to get that that leader that's two levels in the business above you to agree to a solution and and you wanna influence them. Or maybe the people you're trying to teach, you wanna influence them to change your behavior. These influence skills are incredibly valuable. And pick one of these, try it out. Um, I'd recommend not doing all of these at once because it's gonna take a little while to get comfortable with how you can do it. So my recommendation is to find a way to incorporate one of these this week in some situation in your life. Test it out, see how it goes, and maybe before you move on to another one, you can take some of that feedback from the, how that interaction goes and see if you can make that skill even better. Folks, that is it for this episode. Uh, I will have in the show notes the link to the Arthur Brooks article from The Atlantic, as well as Robert Cialdiani's book, if you wanna go buy that, The Influence. I would appreciate it if you told two people about Apex Mind to recommend this podcast to someone who you think could be influential. This This is a good episode that may not appeal to just people in more of a training or learning role. Um, really, everybody can benefit from these, these influence skills. All right, everybody, go and help someone to be better than they were yesterday. Thank you for listening, and I will talk to you soon.